Scrapper fans, and welcome to the latest edition of Let Me Tell You Something, the podcast where two wrestling fans talk about their wrestling fandom whilst fanning themselves in the heat of the wrestling firmament, because my goodness me, the wrestling scene is hot to trot at the moment. Although we don't talk about the current events as much as we do some part of the larger scope of wrestling. So much like myself with fashions, we are not interested with what's on trend. And by we, I mean your co-host Lorcan Mullen, and with me as always is the Shawn Michaels to my Marty Jannetty, the Chris Saban to my Alex Shelley, the poetry to my motion, Mr. Simon Cross. Simon, how are you doing today, mate? Oh, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Didn't realise I... Let me just make it clear that poetry is not in motion in any way, shape or form in that sense. I don't know. Like, if you glued like a few Shakespeare sonnets to the back of uh, um, Lewis Hamilton's car, that's, that's poetry in motion, is it not? Mm. Well, given that who people think that the, uh, the poems might have been addressed to, I suppose that would be appropriate as well. I was making a joke. If you're poetry and I'm motion, Simon, it was a, it was a naughty innuendo, uh, or might you say, in your end, mm-hmm. vaguely homophobic. But we can move on from there. Jesus. I apologise to anyone offended by that, but I don't apologise to anyone that giggles unnecessarily when we talk about double teaming, because that's what we're talking about today, aren't we, we Simon? Are. We're talking about tag team. Or double team manoeuvres. The bugbear of JR, it has to be said at the moment. Yeah, it, it's weird with like that. AEW's tag division is just strange sometimes. They seem to like say there are rules, but don't really enforce said rules. Well, they've started to enforce some rules that they seem to not be interested in doing at the start. Remember, there was like. I think it was at least one Lucha Bros match where they tagged whilst being in the ring, not outside yes. the ring. Great response. Oh, there's a bearded member in like the front front three rows. Of course there's a bearded member. It's AEW. He and his mate are just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and Chris Jericho was on their side when he yeah. uh, made a, an edict that things are not going to go down that route. I think... Tag team wrestling really took off as a thing in the 70s and particularly the 80s. I think the golden era of tag team wrestling was the 80s, where you had so many popular acts in the WWE, in the NWA, and both... I mean, the NWA, the tag division, was so strong they were able to carry two tag team titles for the longest time. There was a United That's States ridiculous. tag team championship. I mean, to be honest, in from 86 until about 90... Four, WWE yeah. could have probably had an Intercontinental Tag Team Championships and it would have worked. Mm, yeah, especially if they... Because there was still like a lot of big guys and a lot of little guys. Like, But I mean that the tag teams they had, I mean, you've just got to look at the 1987 and 1988 Survivor Series matches where there was five team on five team elimination matches. Exactly. So there were at least ten active tag teams going on at the time. I don't think there are 10 active tag teams across... No, definitely not across the main two brands. Well, it depends. If you count women, there probably are. Well, yeah. Well, actually, no. No. Even then, I think you're struggling. Well, if you count NXT, you would get 10 for certain. Yeah. Well, I said main brands. 
It's a curious thing with tag team maneuvers. I think that obviously now I think a lot of people associate the current version, the high spot heavy version of pro wrestling that has lots of double team moves in tag team matches. A lot of people attribute it to the Young Bucks and that they really have popularized that form of wrestling, the high spot heavy. I mean, when they were doing it in PWG, it became borderline parodic. Uh, yeah, and, and then it just became natural. This is how things work. And the rule is supposed to be that there's a five second count after you make the tag before the other person, one the person that tagged it out, has to leave the ring. Mm. And it's funny though because I remember when I just started getting into wrestling as a child, there was a tag team that was really starting to. It was a point of contention in their matches like it was part of storylines that people would like the heels would complain that they'd be in the ring for more than five seconds and they are essentially the forebearers of the young bucks today which is the rockers yeah maybe the most influential tag team of all time as far as long-term influence despite the fact that they never won the tag team titles in the wwe but their mm-hmm. form of tag team wrestling is the closest to what we have now. Although the funny thing about the Rockers were that they never had a definitive finishing move as a tag team. They had a number of different finishing moves that finished matches. I think they did one where they both did a double missile drop kick. Might have been one that they did at WrestleMania 7, I think. Okay. They had one that I remember, which was that Shawn Michaels would stand in front of the opponent... Who's lying on the on? So it's like a lying. He's lying horizontal to John Michaels vertical, and Marty Jannetty would run the ropes, run towards Michaels. Michaels would then lift him up, press slam style, and then drop him down for a splash. So it was almost like a combining of the Ultimate Warrior's two finishing moves. Yeah, into one. But that was really something I only saw them do a couple of times in jobber matches. So really, when you talk about the the double team moves of the 80s and 90s for the WWE, you, you're talking about your doomsday devices, your heart attacks, your demolition decapitations. Yeah, they're like the big early 90s ones. Mm. Um, and obviously, when as I was getting into wrestling, it was another free team that, like, it was like the free cornerstone teams uh, of the division were possibly three of the greatest tag teams ever to have existed. Edge and Christian, the Hardys, and the Dudleys. Now, what's interesting about those is, as far as I can remember, it's sort of staggered. Like, their each... How what how their tag team finishes went. If they... So, the 3D was like a one-shot deal. The uh, Twist of Fate into the Swanton was a 1-2 combo. I can't remember an Edge and Christian tag team finisher that didn't involve chairs. They never had a finisher. They never had a a move that they combined together to do that was like their definitive finisher. I think they did have one on the indie scene. Because I think it's the move that Edge used with Sable to win their tag team match against Mark Merrill and Jacqueline at SummerSlam 98. Because I remember them doing it a couple of times with Christian. Where Christian or in that match, Sable, essentially does a backward roll. Yeah. In And their legs are open, and so they, they go into, like, Edge catches them. So they're almost in, like, a wheelbarrow position. 
but the the legs are tucked under his arms, and then he will lift him and you. slam him down. So kind of like Shawn Michaels and Martha Jannetty's slamming one of them down into a into a, a splash, but from a but from not a from a shorter height. Yeah, from like a, what will be a, if if Edge was to go backwards with it, he will be wheelbarrow plexing Christian. But instead, he slams him forward into the opponent. It was, it was also uh, it was a really great. Because obviously the Heart Foundation were best known for the heart attack. Yeah, but they did have they did have their version of essentially a demolitions decapitation move, where Bret Hart did his trademark second rope elbow, but Jim Neidhart had the opponent down in a backbreaker position. So it was essentially the same. That's move. very similar. It yeah, is basically the same move. And another move that they had was that Bret Hart would go onto the middle rope, like with his back to the ring. So he's standing on the second rope, and Jim Neidart would lift him. So he'd essentially be in like a body slam position, but the other way around. And so Neidart would body slam him on top into a splash as well. I'm with you, yeah. But it's funny that you go by those three most popular WWE figures, because tag teams, because it's almost like they had different levels of double team moves. With Edge and Christian, they yeah. didn't really have any. It was more about two crafty guys using their shared craftiness. Edge had the spear. Christian had the unprettier, and that was, you know, that one of them would find the way to do their finisher to win the match. Mm. And if there was, if it was a weapons match, then they'd probably do a concerto or something chair-related. The Dudley boys had the 3D, which I think is probably the most, maybe the most protected double-team finisher ever, apart from the de- uh, Doomsday device. I think Bubba Ray sent an interview, it's been kicked out of twice. I know that Chris Saban kicked out of it in what was supposed to be their farewell match when they were against the Motor City Machine Guns. More on them later. Apparently there's a tag match in New Japan where a team kicks out. Yeah, I can believe that. So, that was always the deadly feature. But I don't really remember the Dudleys having any other trademark double team moves except for Was Up, which is essentially a comedy move. Oh, the headbutt to the... Um... For, yeah, the headbutt to the groin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also the move that JR would occasionally, and Michael Cole would occasionally mistake for the 3D, which is Devon having him up for an atomic, for a back suplex, and yeah. Bubba Ray neck-breakering him. It's not the Dudley of... Def driver, whereas the other one's the Dudley Def device. I swear they're both 3D named, but one is iconic. Well, I think the other one's meant to be called 2D. Could be the Dudley, Dudley driver then. Yeah, yeah, that would make more sense, I suppose. So, whereas the Hardy Boys had numerous double team maneuvers that they would employ throughout the match sequences like Matt Hardy going for a fist drop whilst Jeff does a standing somersault uh sent on then you have poetry in motion of course then you got the combo leg drop where Matt Hardy does a leg drop off the second rope whilst uh, Jeff Hardy does the um leg drop onto the groin area can't remember what that move's called now. Their old finisher that they had where one would do a leg drop, where Matt Hardy would do a top rope leg drop and Jeff Hardy would do a top rope splash. The Uso sort of have a version of that, but instead now the other one just does a splash onto the opponent's knees, which I feel like will hurt them more than it will hurt their opponents. Yeah, yeah. The um, Or is it, sometimes it's super kicking to splash mm. with the Usos. But what I think that the Young Bucks really introduced, along with... The Motor City Machine Guns is more intricate, longer sequencing of moves that very much go beyond the five count, and they're not there to like finish off an opponent. It's just a sign of like 
team work. Look how athletic we yeah. are. And the Motor City machine guns would frequently be ones that involve a series of strikes, mm. really. Like a combo of like knees and kicks that would take an opponent down. Uh, and the Young Bucks were very often just really intricate move sets and we saw we saw some of them on this we, we, you'll see they won't go through everything in most of their matches and of course then you go into dragon gate where they and that's going into damn more the lucha path where it's just constant motion movement multiple people yeah. at the same time you think of that dragon gate six-man tag that we discussed for the five star and it's all sorts of insanely intricate moves that you just can't keep up with that the, there's always a move happening with yeah. a combination of two or more on one person of some description pretty much match of the week we did recently that was my favorite match i've ever seen live which was the briscoe brothers against shingo takagi and narugi doi and the yeah. final 10 minute sequence almost seemed to be both of them doing series of double team maneuvers so it becomes more of a spectacle, but then it gets to the point of does it go too spectacular? And that constant criticism that tag team is not tag team rules aren't taken as seriously anymore, and that we shouldn't allow this sort of stuff to happen if there's good refereeing. And if there's no good refereeing, then like it's another shattering of the illusion and making things matter less. Well, this is why FTR stroke the revival stood out because they they deliberately went down like it was literally their mantra no flips just fists and like we are the resurrection of tag team wrestling like they deliberately you say that but that also so much of them tag team saying they're the old school tag team it's just like finisher spam that they'll they're just doing dozens of different tag team finishes throughout the match they do they do have a, a touch of the tribute act about them like i i think Especially if you look at their match against the Young Bucks, there's at least three or four different team uh, iconic tag team finishes that they use. I think Powerplex is now a signature for them. The Midnight Express's Spike Piledriver, obviously. Cause well, Tully no, that was them. that was that's Tully Blanchard and Arn Anderson. That's not the Midnight ah. Express. Sorry, yeah. Sorry, it's because it's called the Goodnight Express. It trips me up. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. So the name's a tribute to the Midnight Express. Yeah. Midnight Express were ones that did have intricate tag team maneuvers as well and played up the more teamwork element. Them and the Rock and Roll Express were probably even more influential, really, than the Rockers were. It's just the Rockers were the more mainstream tag team out there. Yeah, the sexier ones. I don't know. Ricky Morton had the ladies. And, you know, unfortunately, Sweet Stan Lane's loins might have produced the batshittiest of all the batshit congressmen right now in America, but... uh, there we go. You're not aware of this? No. You know, I'm guessing you, because you're pretty news savvy as me, have you seen that woman with the Tina Fey glasses? She did this whole thing at the CPAC conference saying, don't you be giving me your Fauci ouchie to describe the vaccine. I think I've seen her. Yeah. yeah. There's rumours that her dad's, I think it's pretty much confirmed that Stan Lane's her biological father. Oh, jeez. Because... You know, you just need to read Mick Foley's autobiography to know that Stan Lane in the late in the eighties had a fun time. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, you look at him. I, you know, if I looked like that, I'd probably have had a bit of a fun time as well. <laughs> um, maybe not. I to mean, that I suppose degree. that's why they have all these cardboard beds mm. at uh, the Olympic Games sometimes <laughs> mm. to stop people ro- rooting. And like, why to give out so many condoms? It's like, well, if you get, we know you're gonna do it. Just do They're it. They're not safely. allowed to this time, though, are they? 
which seems just well, hence, additionally hence the cardboard cool. beds, but there's ways and means around that. Well, these are people that can can talk the body to degrees almost unfathomable. So I don't think a cardboard bed is going to cause too much distress to them. Yeah. Or, you know, if if they have to jump into a second floor window, someone's left a really long pole around. Yeah. What I think as well is that we're, we're of this age now where people are looking up wrestlers for, like, montages on YouTube or GIFs or anything like that. And so an intricate 15 to 30 second tag team move is always going to get attention. And that's why I think most tag teams that are out there are probably trying to do as many spectacular visual moves as they can. Well, it's no different to Osprey and Ricochet's like little segments, is it? That sounds very patronising. You know those I mean? can be even more convoluted and, you know... You've got more platforms to jump off of and like utilise if you've got a partner who can like bridge for you or do something. But on the other hand, there's more scope for it to... You're not doing as much of the work, are you? Well, there's there's different ways you can do it. I suppose you can do the... So often, especially when there are tag teams where it's a big guy and a smaller guy, it's the idea of the bigger guy being either a platform or a holding dock or something yes. for their, their more high-flying partner to do the move. You know, it's like Jim the Anvil, Neidhart, an animal holding up their opponents for their partner to do the clothesline on them. Yeah, or um, like one of my favourite like random like collabs that get like put together, like the Hurricane and Kane. That's that's a really good like odd couple tag team. But did they have any great finishing moves? That was the problem when you get those infrequent tag teams, those botched together tag teams. Oftentimes they aren't together long enough to have a finishing move. I don't think Team Hell No ever had an established team move. No, no, they were very much Edge and Christian style. In fact, more often it'd be Brian hits the tag team move and then Kane tags in for the pin or vice versa. It's like the Shield. Like the Shield as a tag as a tag team that held the gold, Reigns and Rollins, I can't remember them having a specific tag team they move. Didn't they? They had that one that was almost a tribute to the British Bulldogs. Roman Reigns gets the opponents up in like a torture rack. And then Seth Rollins comes off the top rope with a flying knee to the head. That's how they won the tag titles off Team Hell No, I think. Yeah, but I don't think after that they didn't really use a tag team finisher to like a tag team move to finish the match. It was usually Seth like Stomp or Roman Spear. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's almost a sign of how uh, important the team actually is to you. That if you want to be defined by the team, then you want the team to have a defining move. But if it is a makeshift tag team, there's no point coming up with anything i suppose yeah but edge and christian weren't a makeshift tag team and neither were the shield well i think the weird thing with edge and christian was they were always intended to be a makeshift tag team Mm. almost as soon as they were put together in the summer of 99 after they left gangrel and went out on their own wwe were trying to break them up all the time and like it's so crazy given how to this day beloved edge and christian are as a team their run as a tag team is just two years if you go from June 99 to June 01, and their run as tag team champions was just a year within those two years. And that was always trading the belt back and forth with various teams at the time. Same with the Shield, really. Like, they... I think they had one, maybe two tag reigns, but not anything, like, long. 
I think the only reason they gave them the tag belts was they wanted to present them as dominant with with gold in the mid card. So that was the only yeah. reason Ambrose held the US title for ages because it looked good. Because he barely defended it. It's funny though when we talk about six man tags. If you watch uh, Chikara, which mm. is very big on the six man tags, their big event of the year was the King of Trios tournament. And they had a few factions that would have popular trios like uh, FIST, Friends in Similar Tights, <laughs> which was... That is gold yeah. as a name. Yeah. That was Icarus, Chuck Taylor, and Johnny Gargano at one point. Of course Chuck Taylor was in it. Yeah. Of course Chuck Taylor. And then you also had The Colony, of whom one of those wrestlers is now Orange Cassidy. Uh, another one of those members, I believe, was uh, Drew Gulak. And then you have another six-man combination in the evil version of the Ants. Um, one of those members was John Silver. Oh no, no, no! He wasn't one of the Ants, but he was—he was a—he was, was the evil mirror version of the of Jigsaw. But anyway, my point is that they would have like intricate six uh, trios tag team moves. Yeah. Uh, which is something you don't re- haven't really seen. I mean, not even Death Triangle really have an intricate six man tag move. The the Shield have the the triple power bomb, but that's it. Death Triangle's a weird one because that's it's not really a team; it's an association. They're not an actual like hard and fast team. They're but a my team. point is, if they're doing a six man tag, it would be cool if they had some sort of sequence. Or oh god, and the three of them could probably do something insane, mm. like quite easily so do you think that a tag team having a double team move is a requisite now or having several double team moves it it seems more relevant now than it ever was like the new age outlaws never really have much of a tag team move other than the spike pile driver they do occasionally being part of a team doesn't have to mean that they can do all the moves together it just means they're like communicative in the ring and they know when the other one needs to get in and how to help them out i think it's a uh, it's a tale of two halves, really, with the way things are. Well, because now it's all about the moves, it means more to have tag team moves. Well, my point is that aren't really... On one of the two major promotions on US television, there aren't really many established tag teams. And a lot of them are, like, thrown together, or two people have been put together but have never really established a tag team move, like Rude and Ziggler, the Dirty Dogs. I think when they have very well-defined personalities before they form a tag team, very often they won't bother becoming much of a tag team. Yeah. But you don't see many fresh tag teams come up. Money Inc. never came up with a lot of moves. But Beer Money Inc. did. They had a few yeah. cool tag team moves. <laughs> I think if you're, if you're thrown together a tag team that's around for a while at some point, I think you do have to have a tag team move. Just to show, not necessarily as your finisher, but just to show that you're, you're sinking as, like, you're... You know, syncing up as a team. Like, syncing a with great... a Y. In, in the... Yes, that's the one. In AEW, it seems that tag team wrestling, for ov- well, for, yeah, because they've got such great talent and not an aversion to tag team wrestling, it seems like all the tag teams that are there are established. I haven't seen a hastily cobbled together tag team. Uh, like You know, for like one-offs, like one match as part of a storyline, but not like, long term i guess the closest is kingston and moxley i don't know it depends i mean you can say a lot of them might form tag teams in the undercard and build themselves up or or a faction in the undercard like the wingmen yeah you know so it will get there eventually 
there will be cobbled together tag teams. But I think because the Young Bucks are such important figures both behind and in front of the camera, the tag team wrestling will always be given prominence. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they introduced a, a secondary tag team title to AEW, especially with, like, that might be, like, a, a title you can put on uh, a lot on Rampage. A, a, a tag team equivalent of the TNT titles. You don't have to call them the TNT tag team titles, but tag team titles get defended more often on Dynamite and Rampage and maybe even Dark or Dark Dark Elevation. But, you know, something for the Bear, you know, Bear Country and bloody... uh, Wingmen, as you mentioned. Wingmen to to wrestle over. Who else? Oh, Luther and Fuego Del Sol. Um, Not Serpentico, not Fuego Del Sol. You could have the Bunny and the Blade. Uh, Sorry, the Blade, the Butcher and the Blade. I think Butch is on tour or injured. I don't know where he is. I've always said I want to see mixed tag team titles eventually. And with that, you can have some fun with the the sort of... the. Then you've got to be more creative with tag team moves because you can't have the bloke hitting a woman if you do it. So you either have cool ones where they use the woman as like a launch pad or, or something. Now, when they did the Mix Max Challenge, which was like YouTube-based... Yeah, but they're only tag teams for like three matches. So they're not going to come up with intricate tag team sequences no, or moves. No, but my, my point is the whole having to get around the intergender obstacle created some like fun yeah, that, distractions. I think it was one of those things where Vince wasn't looking at it as tightly. I don't think Vince was looking at it at all. <laughs> well, it did link to storylines at one point because the winner of the Mix Max Challenge one year... They both got the 30 spot in the respective rumbles because it was R-Truth and Mella that won it. Yeah, and the fact that it was R-Truth and Carmella suggests that Vince didn't care anyway. Then what happened to R-Truth? Nia Jax beat him up. So that's why I've always thought, like, I've always wanted to see a mixed tag team title in one of the two big promotions. Mm. I think you can have a lot of fun with it. And, you know, if a a certain dentist's long-term partner is suddenly available... There's your uh, inaugural champions right there. That'd be ridiculous. And that could be some fun, some fun innovation. I mean, he's not he's not someone you like talking about that much. But Joey Ryan, when he was in a tag team with Candice LeRae, they did have some fun double team moves, mm. and, and also they would wear matching gear as well. And I like that idea as well of a tag team with matching gear. And I want more factions to be like intergender. You yeah. could do it in real life now, as they're both members of the way. Yeah. So you could have Gagano and. One of the things that, I mean, I said if they brought in mixed tag team belts, that'd be a great way to get Gargano and Larray onto the main roster and have mm. them be floating titles. I would say unify the women's titles, unify the men's titles, unify, uh, and, and then just allow three tag team champions to float, three teams to float around all the, all the brands. And having quite enjoyed their feud with Nikki and John, I know it was like a throwaway thing to set up the moment after the match. But they put a lot of effort into it. Miz and Maurice. Yeah, they would have been a great mixed tag team champions. Yeah. If they hadn't had the great Roman Reigns storyline, what a way you could have used Jey Uso for the six months that Jimmy was out or any time in the future Jimmy's out, partnering him back up with Naomi. Yeah. Yeah. And it can be just a fun undercard match that goes no more than 10 to 12 minutes. Is a bit more light-hearted. Like, I think the Pinnacle really should have had, uh, once they finished their feud completely with the inner circle and they're no longer... We're not there like, yet. <laughs> no, we're not there yet, but when they get past that, uh, and they're not just meant to exist an evil mirror alternative to the inner circle, 
I would want them to bring one or two women into it as well, so that they could. Because the idea of factions is they should be going after all the gold. Well, the women's titles should be part of their thought process as well. I think that's really helped out best friends. Mm. Yeah, and yeah. It's helped out Statlander. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, having that's that's a mutually beneficial yeah, thing to have done. Absolutely. Uh, and I was just talking about this with a friend the other day. Uh, we were talking about the recent release of Ric Flair. We'll have boy by the time this is out, that might have had a very different meaning to it. Um, but we were talking about what you could do, and I realised you could actually do a um, a modern day horse people uh, faction if they all were available in the same promotion at one point of Charlotte Flair, Brock Anderson, Tessa Blanchard, and Wyndham Rotunda. Oh my god, that'd be mint. <laughs> uh, would Andrade get there by proxy? As he's engaged uh, yeah, to Charlotte, yeah. he can be her baby doll. <laughs> I mean, he is attractive, <laughs> and I bet he could make that dress work as well. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I don't have a lot more left to say at this point. I'm, I'm happy to go into. I think we can talk more about the moves themselves within the um, Mount Rushmore elements. Maybe Mount Rushmore should be a bit. Yeah, longer. yeah. I, I think we've got gone a bit broad stroke. So, do you want to go first, Simon? I do, I do. Um, I'm going to throw in an honourable mention. Yeah. Because I've written down five here. One of them isn't as good as the rest, in my opinion. So it's... But it's... There's a visual image that comes from uh, Alan Cheapshot's Vince McMahon stories, Fred, that I can just... is seared into my brain. And it's the idea of Vince McMahon in a strip club getting hit with a heart attack by uh, Neidhart and Brett. So my honourable mention is the heart attack. I think because it, I think because it's always a lesser doomsday device. It whilst being essentially a weaker version of the same concept, you could never really rank it as a definitive one. Because I'm guessing, I'm going to guess that that might be in your list. Oh, I was literally about to do the funny you should mention that segue. Yes, uh, number one is the Doomsday Device, because of course it is. It's just, an it's iconic. Part of the build that created something that's literally known as the Road Warrior Pop. Like, it's ridiculous. It's like, they were so hot. So, like, they were just prime. At that time, I didn't realise until I watched that their dark side of the ring just how shit hot they were wherever they went. Yeah, another like whilst their influence was short term because, uh, but there were so many knockoffs of the Road Warriors in the tag division after that for several years. <laughs> Powers of Pain, Blade Runners, all sorts yeah. of characters like that. New Japan brought in Hawk after Animal was injured. And Kensuke Sasuke to essentially just become the Japanese version of the team. Oh, so he, he was Power Warrior or something yeah. like that. Yeah, so Hawk became Hawk Warrior. And they were the Hellraisers. So you've got Doomsday Device. I do. Next one, I've already mentioned. Uh, the 3D. Mm-hmm. Uh, just so well protected, as we've alluded to. The crowd, the noise they make when they can see it coming. Because it doesn't always have to be like a long-standing thing for, like, a drowsy opponent to turn round. It can just be a quick setup, but the crowd immediately knows what's coming, and they love it. It's also one of the best signs of how good a team they were, because the timing that was required for that move and the right 
just getting the opponent the right height, the right time to get him up, knowing that Bubba's going to be there to catch him on the way down. For what can yeah. be quite a dangerous move, to the best of my knowledge, very few people have been injured from it. They've made storylines of people being injured from it, but I don't know how many times they actually have. I don't been think it, I don't think there's been many kayfabe ones. No, like yeah, no, you mean shoot ones? ones. Yeah. Shoot ones, brother. You don't. You're not an insider. <laughs> <laughs> I'm certainly not. So you've had the 3D uh, and the Doomsday device. Yes, sticking with the same era as the 3D, uh, I'm going Twist of Fate stroke Swanton Bomb combo. Interesting. Because it was, again, it, it's different to the first two because it's a, it's a one move, then a second move combination. But again, incredibly well protected. Um, I'm pretty much seared into my childhood. Like, it's it was wrestling for me, like a tag team wrestling for me for a long, long time. That and the three D. So the final one, it's gone by a couple of names. Actually, it's had three different names uh, due to various circumstances. Currently known as the Big Rig, originally known as the Shatter Machine. I cannot remember its interim name. I think it was the Goodnight Express or something like that. Yes, that's that's maneuver. Uh, I I absolutely adore the Shatter Machine. <laughs> And watching NXT during that hot period, it, it was just like, you knew it was all over at that point. Funnily enough, the uh, the team I think they had one of their best rivalries with, rivalries with, I can't remember them having a tag team finish, American Alpha. No, they did. It was that one where Jordan would lift them up for a back suplex and then let go and, and Gable would catch it into catch the bridge. Him. Yes, I do. Oh my god, how did I forget that? That's insane. But, uh, yeah, it's funny actually, we'll just quickly talk about, uh, well, no, I'll go through mine and then we can talk about it uh, afterwards because there's another bit about, uh, danger. you know, because some of these moves can be fucking dangerous. There's some finishes that, you know, you see in the highlight reels, but they didn't use them again. That Beverly Brothers one where one of them goes for a backdrop and the, and the other one just breaks their opponent's neck. Yes, yeah, I, I, I saw the, as part of the research for yeah. this, I saw stills of that so yeah. i didn't see it in motion but I, I jesus mean, there are there are multiple uh, honorable mentions i could do rocket launch from the midnight express loads of stuff he had two matches so i'm moving one of them into the honorable mentions which is 3d i'm gonna move 3d into my honorable mentions it was gonna be in my mount rushmore and i've swapped it out with the other move that i was it was hurting me to not include it in my mount rushmore so in a way i'm kind of relieved and that is total elimination from the eliminators Ah, that's been another. If if the doomsday device setup of being held up by one person and knocked down by the other for like a a big impact move, the total elimination has been the basis for so many strike based finishers ever since. Then you think of like the DIY finisher, or yeah. you know any time. I think the, the Ascension actually had a really cool finisher that was along those lines, which was like a they chop do. block and a clothesline, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, Crime Times mm. was a high-low combo. Yeah, yeah the, the hitting them with the high-low strike, it's just... It sometimes can look really like you need the person to stay perfectly still. <laughs> yeah. but It's hard to make look good sometimes. But when you see... like There was one that they did to Spike Dudley that was so awesome looking with how quick and how harsh... It looked, and it helps that it's Spike Dudley. You can just bump for anyone and anything. You could bump for us, and it would look realistic. It is just too cool looking <laughs> to, to not love. Uh, so I put Total Elimination in then. Uh, my two other 
big honourable mentions before I forget is the spike pile driver. Simple but effective. Just taking yeah. a regular singles finishing move and just putting a bit of stank on it with the with the forcing it down. And from then you've got the Meltzer driver and the Indy taker and all them, but they aren't making my list. And just a quick one, a, a lesser known one from a tag team that wasn't together for very long, but it was again that updating of a classic is the Ode to Bulldogs that was employed by Roderick Strong and Jack Evans. And other people have probably done the move as well. But what it is, is that it's taking the Bulldogs format, which was, again, which was like the Roman Reigns, Seth Rollins setup with him in the torch rack position. Okay, okay, yeah. And Dynamite Kid would jump off that opponent. He'd like jump off the top rope, stand on the opponent, then fall down and hit a Bulldog uh, headbutt onto the downed other partner in the ring. Yeah. So Roderick Strong and Jack Evans took that a step further where Jack Evans leaps off the top rope, twists in midair, lands on his feet on the opponent in the torch rack for Roderick Strong, launches off of that into a moonsault onto the other opponents on the mat. Oh, God. That's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. But Jack Evans could just hit it that. Is ridiculous. Awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, I've said I'm not including the Indy Taker or the... Um, Meltzer driver, but I am including more bang for your buck because that is another intricate move that's spectacular to look at, but the timing is so perfect. And I would say my argument for why I think that's better than the twist of fate swanton is that all parts of that move are necessary within it to make the move work. The O'Connor roll, the 450 into the moon salts. Yeah. It's all part of one sequence and on its own, it wouldn't be a finisher. I don't think any of those would be a finisher. If Matt was in a singles match, Maybe the 450 splash but at, a, at a stretch for Nick. Whereas yeah. with the, it was just doing one double team move, then doing it with another. There was no connection to it, but it was part of one fluid motion for more bang for your buck. And including the whole one fluid motion, my third non-matching Mount Rushmore. And I do think I would have included this even if FTR hadn't essentially resurrected it and included it in their tribute act. And that is Power and Glory's Powerplex. Okay. Because it so perfectly fit what they were as a team, which was the stronger one and the high flyer or the, the smaller one. Yeah. But what made it work so well was the fact that Paul Roma would launch himself before the opponent had hit the mat. So the opponent was also in flight when Paul Roma went into in, in flight as well. And you know Paul Roma was so chuffed with himself every time he hit it because he just had to stand up and just, like, most of the time just stand on his opponent with one foot and pin them with it. Which is what he did to <laughs> Marty Gennetti, I remember, in their SummerSlam 90 match, which I can't imagine Marty Gennetti was ecstatic about. But it just was so... It's just such... And, and FTR do it well, but I genuinely don't think they do it quite as well as Power and Glory did. Yeah. Fair enough. There's a fluidity to it, um, the way in the way you described it, akin yeah. to how you described your bank for your book. Yeah, so, yeah. I uh, and and just because it was one that until FTR brought it back, I don't. Th- I think everyone always said if they said one thing about Power and Glory, it was they had an awesome finisher. But I'm glad that this has brought it back into public consciousness more. So that's why it's going in. And our shared man Rushmore, it has to be. It is the Doomsday Advice. It's still. So cool looking. A move that looks cool now that came from the mid-80s is not... There's not a lot of those out there. Yeah. And it's also funny because so many other moves that use the head, uh, that use the one on the opponent's shoulders, they often make the big mistake, and so it never really works as well. 
is that they will often have the opponent fall forward. So you've got the Steiner's head uh, bulldog, which a lot of people love, but it always looked way too dangerous to me. Yeah. And the other one everyone always tries to do, and it never quite goes right, is doing a hurricane runner off of their shoulders because they've got to get past the head that's in front of their crotch, let's be honest about yeah. it. And it makes it hard for them to do the spot. Sometimes it works, but I've seen it enough times to know that it doesn't to see there's a reason it's better to do it that way. And also, that was like the only, like a lot of wrestlers that can't do moonsaults kind of being forced into doing moonsaults to take yeah. the bump from that move. <laughs> you know? Because you can do it like, you can do it the safer way where Animal falls back with you. Where it essentially just becomes like an electric chair. But when he does it and the guy has to take the the... Just take the flat the clothesline the flip bump. bump. Yeah. yeah. It always made it look cool. So, yeah, that is our that is our list. Is there anything you want to add at this point? Just that uh, we love it. Maybe JR has a point, but there's a certain level we'll accept and, you know. Yeah, I, I think I think that the, 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 the perfect level is somewhere between JR and... <laughs> the Lucha Bros, more leaning JR's side. Mm. One of the rules that I never knew was there as a rule until I saw an old school wrestler tweet it was that you're allowed to save the pin once technically in the rules. You're allowed to save your partner once and then it's not allowed. And Vince actually enforced that rule in yeah. WWE Tag Match, but they never told us that. They never ever told us that. But then you got that one like, like someone hit them from the outside recently, wasn't it? It was like one of the... Um... What the fuck's the, the group's name now? Retribution. Is it Retribution? What were they called? Antifa. That, they were called Retribution, yeah. yeah. The fact that I can't remember. And the two of them are still a team. So they all. But one of them hit the wrestler from the outside and that was a tag. That was a disqualification. <laughs> Very strange. <laughs> but anyway, Simon, if people want to get in touch with you with other images of double team moves. I mean, I know you've already got a terabyte full of it, but. <laughs> you know. Do you really think I have it stored? It's all streaming these days. Yeah, but it's got to stay somewhere. Yeah, their servers can't keep that. Can't make those sticky. Uh, anyway, uh, people can get in touch with me on Twitter, where I'm sewn under Simon Cross Free. Uh, free for the number of times you uh, use the double team entendre mm. in this uh, podcast. Mm. My name is Lorcan Mullen. That's L O R C A N M U W L A for the A in Grand Amplitude, which was the name. Of American Alpha's finisher. N for the N at the end of disqualification, which is what everyone seems to think we should have if this podcast had gone on longer than not five seconds. Hey. But there's nothing left to say at this point except the next week, another match of the week, if we haven't got any more five star matches to do in the interim, or there's one that we might have to catch up on because we'll have two, ma- two observers worth of potential five star matches by the time this is out, Simon, that could be recorded have a lovely holiday in the interim i will but after that if it is nothing on our five star menu to go peruse we will be back to the first of another string of match of the weeks and we're going to japan and when all this deathmatch malarkey which seems to be making all the kids shuk and jive and dance mdk yeah before that there was atsushi onita having an exploding barbed wire match with Terry Funk. And that's what we'll be discussing in next week's episode, if there are no five-star matches. But there's nothing left to say at this point, except that my name's Lorcan Mullen. My name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a great time.
Until the next time. JJ, let me cut you off here for a minute. Bobby Stan, we've traveled together, we've partied together, we've shared everything, and I mean everything together. Listen, be satisfied with what you got. Don't cut off your nose to spot your face. You don't need the world tag team titles. Hey, what do you mean we don't need them? Let me tell you something. It's about time we got some big paydays too around here. I think we want a title shot. What about that? That's right, you don't need them. One thing being a world champion takes intelligence. It takes good looks. It takes, you have to be articulate because of the media coverage that you get. And you take about, you can't even talk. Look at this guy right here. You can't even have a walking, walking function of the United States speaking. Let me tell you something, Philip Blanchard. You put your finger back in my face or on me, I'm going to make you eat it, you punk. You piece of garbage, you piece of trash. That's all you are.